Oh, hi, everybody. My name is Matt Storrs, and welcome to Matt's Planning. On today's episode, I have an expert on who I'm very excited to talk to. Expert, please introduce yourself and tell us what you're an expert in. Hello, my name is Adrian Bain, and I am an expert on baking, specifically pie baking. Excellent. Yes, I am a big pie fan myself, possibly an expert in my own right. And my understanding of baking, specifically with pies, is that one thing that's become very popular these days is using alcohol in the pie mm. crust, specifically vodka, that helps inhibit gluten production. And what a lot of people don't know is that actually one of the ways in which they figured this out, it was kind of kind of dumb luck because there was this old adage about if you have celiac disease, all you have to do is you have to drink alcohol with the bread and it'll destroy the gluten, basically working as a medicine or like an antacid sort of thing, but specifically for gluten. And so oh a lot- God. I actually have a genetic predisposition to celiacs, so I will be taking this advice literally. Continue. Absolutely, as as you should. I mean, this is good, high-quality science that they did here. And they, test, <laughs> they tested a number of alcohols. What they found is that clear alcohol, stuff that wasn't aged in oak or casks of what, what have you, tended to destroy the gluten molecules more effectively. The most effective, obviously, being vodka, but tequila was also used with some success, but people, oh yeah, but people found that the tequila kind of started providing a little bit of flavor into mm. the pie, pie crusts, which not everybody was, was hoping for. It was good in things like meringues and like key lime pies huh. and stuff like that. But usually that's going to be not necessarily like a flaky crust sort of situation. So they're like, eh, yeah, I don't know sure. if this is going to work out as well. Also, a big, big thing with it is that the measurements need to be precise in baking, but sometimes you can just wing it. Like me personally, the first time I ever made a cheesecake was me winging it. And I brought it to a party that my partner at the time had been invited to. It was a dessert party and everybody that came was supposed to bring a dessert and they baked a pie. And yeah. I was like, oh, do you want me to help with that? Since I had baking experience and they were very insistent that I didn't. And... <laughs> <laughs> I, so I'm like, well, I'm going to this party. I got to make something. So I made a cheesecake, just winging mm -hmm. it based on what I knew about how to make a cheesecake and brought it. The Their pie was barely touched. My cheesecake <gasps> completely devoured. And I think it was one of the big, big reasons that we ultimately broke up. And, oh, my God. Or to sign off on the pie that they were making. My unwillingness to sign off on the pie that they were making. What uh, kind of pie was it? I think it was an apple pie, but okay. I think my suggestion with it, with the type of apples that they were using, because they mm -hmm. were, they weren't using, they were using Granny Smith's, but they were kind of smaller ones. And so they mm. were doing the thing where they were keeping the skins on, on some oh, of them. God. Yeah. And that is like, you can't, there's a way to do that where it works, but you have to be smart about it. And so like that just created a weird texture because they did it with all of them. And then one of the suggestions I made was like, oh, well, we can caramelize the skins, like shave them and then caramelize them and then like put them on top as like a garnish or like mix it with nuts or something like oh. that. And they're like, no, this is how my family has always made this. Oh and 
I'm like, well, have you ever made it? And they were like, well, no, I haven't. And so mm-hmm. I've, and I've been with people that had a similar recipe to that where they did keep the skins on and it actually worked out really well. And it was a really delicious pie, but those people huh. were good experienced bakers. And this person had a degree of audacity that did not work out for them. Then testing, testing recipes, very important, much like probably should have tested these apples before we did them. And then one of the big things, one of the things that a lot of people don't consider a lot with baking is that there's a need for aprons to dust, Mm. getting around baked goods, getting around. And not only have aprons been a method to show off your creativity and capability as a chef and as a baker, but it also is an indicator that you are, you have the knowledge of what it means to be a baker. And so Mm. a lot of the baking television shows that have become popular in the the last couple of years, if you look at the investors in those programs, is a lot of chef apron companies and these apron companies or big apron have been pushing the prevalence of these baking television shows in the hopes to increase the likelihood that people will buy more aprons, aprons as gifts and that sort of thing. So based on what you've heard so far about how much of that would you say was accurate? Honestly, I would say like maybe 80% is pretty spot on. You definitely schooled me in the whole using alcohol i've known of the vodka technique for pie crust for flaky pie crust but i did not know that people used it as this way of like bypassing celiacs which is kind of amazing to me and as like a family i come from a family of celiacs and i'm marrying into one so like the fact that we can also skip celiacs and just become alcoholics kind of feels like a win-win to me especially when it comes to baking so i feel like you need to know your recipe. You need to test your recipe. And for me, when people say like, oh, I'm going to wing it causes a level of stress that I, I can't, is pretty irrational. And I think that's only because like I worked in like a professional pie baking company and mm-hmm. the idea of going one teaspoon off of the recipe was completely like no, this place was all spice. Like nobody was nice to each other. And mm-hmm. so the, the idea that like I could even stray from it is so deeply ingrained in right. my brain. And like they so coveted their recipes that I had to sign an NDA that I would not work at any other pie shop in oh, wow. Portland, Oregon for three years. It was like nuts. And part of me was like, the recipes weren't so, I, I definitely think that like a good recipe is super important, but you also need, it's so much of like you and the tools and the actual space that you're in. Like there's a whole enclave of high altitude baking because like the air literally changes how things rise. So like Yes, you do want to have a really good recipe, but you also just want to understand your oven. You are, you want to understand like how does your standard mixer or like hand mixer work? Like what are its own little idiosyncrasies and what kind of ingredients are you using? So it, it is just so I very much I definitely got into baking because I was it was like the dawn of the pretty Instagram cookies and pies and all of that stuff. And I really just didn't 
know what I wanted to do in my life. I knew I wanted to be creative and I wanted to make stuff. And I've kind of found that through cooking for a little bit. But once I got to the pie shop, like the whole idea that it's this cute, whimsical, like checkered aprons, like hair in a bun kind of an existence is just not tolerated. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it is a science. And if you fuck up, like when you put all of the ingredients together, you put it in the pie crust, which is its own like set of ingredients. And like, how much did you need the dough? And like, if you overwork it or underwork it, all of that stuff, the moment you put it in the oven, it's, it's, you cannot do anything. You cannot change it. You really like cannot save, save it for whatever you have made. And I only say this because I have ruined so many pies. I don't think I ruined, but just like really, yeah, it was not fun. (laughs) It definitely turned me off from like being like a professional baker. So for me, I'm very much like, it's a science and I definitely wouldn't mess around with a recipe. You're totally right. I would not mess around with a recipe that I haven't already tested, even made like a small batch. Mm. But like, for me, I feel like you need to know the tools, you need to know the ingredients. And then like, so many people have different, like they're so many people. I find that like the filling actually is like, whatever, like the swords that people die on are over the crust. And so many people, there's a whole, there's this fantastic show called Good Food. It's KCRW's like based out of LA, this woman, oh God, I'm so upset that I can't remember her name right now, but she, she hosts this food podcast about all things in LA. They like literally have a farmer's market like segment. It's the Santa Monica farmer's market. It's adorable. It's the only thing that's like made me kind of want to move to Los Angeles, mm-hmm. but they have a pie baking contest and she, there was a whole episode just on the crust. And it's like, they don't really like, they do care about the filling, but the crust is so much harder to like actually get right. So yeah, I think that that's really, I like the, I like the vodka one, but it also, you're right. It definitely depends on like what kind of pie you're making. Cause I would not use a flaky crust if I'm making a key lime or pumpkin pie or like a chocolate mousse. Like that's where you get funky with my sister uses graham crackers. No, not graham crackers. Uh, yes, graham crackers, but animal crackers, which oh, honestly, that's like, smart. She, did it, she did it with this like key. It was like orange pie. So like a lemon meringue pie, but just orange juice instead. It was so yeah. good. Yeah, um, that's I there's the whole thing about that pie and its history, which I did not go into, but I did take notes on about the, the lost history of the orange pie in America. Oh. That's cool. I would love to, I would, you can send that to me later. Cause I would yeah. love to, I'd love to, but I love pie. And because of the baking experience, I, I, I actually can't make one pie at a time. I have to make like a minimum three because like I would get up at 4am. I would bike down from Northeast Portland to Southeast Portland. I would see the moon starting to dip away as the day begins And the first thing I had to do after I put on my extremely unsexy apron and hairnet was I had to make somewhere between eight and 12 key lime pies by 
6 a.m. So I have no, I can no longer make just like, I have to make a pie for my dad's birthday. And I'm like, could I make six instead? Because there's six of us coming. So <laughs> for me, it's like, there's never, there. you can, I personally believe that you can never have too much pie. Okay. I, I was very grossed out. I took notes on everything you said. I, I do agree with the apron thing. I think that like, but in, in a professional sense, no one is wearing like the cool leather strap. Like you need to be wearing a smock that is going to get so like I once made, I have, I told a story about like this one time I made 716 pumpkin pies with one other woman, the the Sunday before Thanksgiving, oh my we God. were shipping them all over. It was me and one other woman. And I got the smock did nothing. I got pumpkin in areas. I didn't think that you could get, I looked like a Noompa Loompa. Like I just, oh, wow. and I went, I went home and my partner at the time was like, Oh my God, you smell like Thanksgiving. They should bottle this. And yeah, it was wild. So it's not supposed to be cute. And all of those like Instagram photos are so, so highly manicured. And like, because when you're really in it, you don't have time to like focus on like how you it's, I don't like, I don't know how the people, the Instagram people do it. How do they make it like, it has to be like two separate processes of like taking the photos and like styling everything and yourself. Oh, absolutely. And there's a number of ways that they actually did. I've, I've watched some things. And one of the ways they do it is they make if they have something where people are going to eat it, they make the one for eating and then they have the one for presentation, of the course. one for photography. Ugh. And what they often do is there's various sprays they can put on it and they can put the spray and it holds like a gel. It's kind of like a glue. And yeah, yeah exactly. And so then it uh, freezes it in that state so that they can get the angles and make sure like the refraction of the light and everything is consistent and it's not like melting or anything like that. And so that can be a one method that they use. I don't necessarily, I haven't seen them do that for pies. I know that's for like standard dishes or like standard cooking stuff on like most cooking shows, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's something like that for baking. I have no idea. That actually reminds me that going back to the good food, pie contest in Los Angeles, there was a whole segment just on, should you, so when I was in, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say these trade secrets, but all I will say is that like you use the whole, I I don't know if you put any, like, how do I want to say this? So according to the good food people, you should not put anything on top of your top crust. So let's say you have like a fully covered top crust for like an apple pie, a cherry pie, a blueberry pie. That top crust should not have egg wash on it. It should not have cream or milk or anything like sugar or anything, maybe sugar to like make it glisten a little bit, but like there should be nothing to make it extra shiny that your pie crust should be able to do that on its own mm-hmm. like reminded me of it of like you need to somehow it make the people think it makes it like less presentable because it's like a filter <laughs> on a voice right. or something so yeah people get really really defensive over like the right and the wrong ways adrian this has been so informative and so interesting i've, I've absolutely <laughs> adored it if 
people wanted to learn more about baking or wanted to learn more about you, where would you recommend that they look? Yes. So unfortunately, I do not bake for others anymore. It kind of stresses me out. That's a learned stress though. Yeah. But I have, I've pivoted into audio and storytelling. So you can check out my podcast. It's called Strangers Abroad and it's a narrative travel podcast. And I am coming out with a third season on October 3rd. Very exciting. It's going to be a historical solo female travel show where each it's a serialized story over 11 episodes and yes you can find me at strangers abroad on instagram tiktok the the apple podcasts or you can just follow me at adrian bain and see when i'm telling stories with matt or going to shows absolutely fantastic thank you so much i hope you have a fantastic rest of your day thank you thanks matt My name is Matt Stores, and this has been Matt Splaining.